Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. Welcome to On Deck with Stan C. On the show, I want to tell the real stories behind the real people behind the mic and this week's guest. Well, it's a big guest. It's a big get because it's the season finale of season three of On Deck. So I had to go out and reach out to one of my favorite podcasters, somebody whose work has really influenced my podcasting style across the Wrestling Wrestling Podcast, now steaming, and this very podcast. I'm talking to Rob Sesternino, the two-time Survivor player and the host of Rob is a Podcast and all of its major spinoffs and shows within its universe and network of podcasts. We get to talk about his origin story, how he got into podcasting, the TV hosts and radio personalities who've influenced his own work, and we also get into some survivor talk, particularly how to cover and lead conversations on some very sensitive and complicated topics like sexual harassment and racism, all of these things that the survivor community has really started talking about more and more over the last couple of years. We'll talk all about that in a bit, but before we get there, I've got to tell you about one thing that's really important to me and even more important to our country, and that is voter registration. We are less than two weeks away from the deadline. That is October 31, so please go out and register to vote. Idahistro.comelect.gov.ph is the first place you can check out. They've got all of the documents there. You can also pre-register for a slot. And a lot of the major malls have been working hand-in-hand with Comelect so that they can accommodate as many people as possible before the deadline. So please go check it out. Idahistro.comelect.gov.ph And you can also check out VotePilipinas.com for all of the requirements. This election next year is going to be the most important one in our lifetime. So please go ahead and register to vote. Now, before we get to our main event, here's a way for you to support the podcast, and that is through your online shopping. We're just a few days away from the next big sale. Yeah, because there's always a big sale, right? And as we say, everything you need, hashtag NASA Lazada Yan. So you can use my Lazada affiliate link right before you check out. It's podlink.co slash Lazada. That's podlink.co slash O-N-D-E-C-K L-A-Z-A-D-A. From there, it'll take you straight to the app and then just click checkout. And a portion of what you spend will go to Podcast Network Asia and to this podcast at no extra cost to you. So once again, please use my affiliate link, podlink.co slash Lazada. All right, it's time to get to the main event. It's the season finale of On Deck with Stan C featuring my guest, Rob Sesternino. (music) 
I'm really happy to be talking to this guest. He is the man behind an entire network and community of podcasters and fans that I'm just really, really happy to be interacting with online. He's also the host of Rob Has a Podcast. Please welcome the great Rob Sesternino. Hi, Rob. Stan, how are you? I'm really happy that we get to have this conversation because uh, when I was figuring out my own voice as a podcaster, your podcast was one of those that really shaped my journey and helped me figure out what works, what doesn't, and basically how to be comfortable in my own skin. So I guess I wanted to start this off by asking you if you've ever wanted to be a host or an interviewer. Well, when I was a kid, uh, that my dream was to uh, host a game show. That was what I really wanted to do. And I just like was raised watching television. So I think I had a lot of conversations that probably would be like podcasts, mostly like with myself uh, as a person growing up. And so, you know, I've been in a room talking alone by myself. There's just the difference is that like now I have a computer and there's somebody on the other end of that conversation. So who were your influences and whose styles did you draw from the game shows you'd watched or the TV shows you'd watched growing up? My favorite was The Price is Right. That was uh, number one uh, for me. But just, you know, in watching just uh, like so much uh, television, you know, I always just wanted to like copy what I was seeing from different people. But in terms of uh, radio, like I think I, I really grew up listening to a ton of sports talk radio that my father used to always have on WFAN, which was the uh, New York sports station, basically like more so than music. That was just like always on at my house and in the car. And so I listened to like a lot of like sports talk radio about what was going on with the Mets and the Jets and, you know, different sports teams in New York. Mike and the Mad Dog was like the big show that was on in New York radio. And then as I got older, listening to things like Howard Stern and the whole insane world around his shows was something that I think was like very influential on me in the way that there were people on the show, but then also the people that would call in were also characters on the show. And it was all part of like one big crazy universe. What part of Howard Stern's work was influential specifically, aside from the cast of characters that would go in and out? Because yeah. my understanding of Howard Stern is that his show is NSFW. Like, I know about yes. the Penthouse Pets and the Playboy Playmates and all mm -hmm. the crazy stuff they would do. And to contrast that with Rob as a podcast, it's very family-friendly and wholesome. So what did you take from Howard Stern? He really created a phenomenon and he used to be on FM radio where you couldn't get away with as much in terms of being on uh, terrestrial radio. But the show was really amazing in that they would, you know, have this crazy world of all these different things that were going on, like with the drama of the people that were on the show. And then they would do like a celebrity interview. And then I also think that Howard Stern is the best interviewer that there is also because he would get these celebrities to open up in different ways. And, you know, he was very like forthcoming and like re revealing things about himself that made the guests feel very much at ease. And so I just think that he's like done such an incredible uh, job. And obviously like not everything he does is for everybody, but he's been uh, just, you know, somebody who's been uh, such an amazing uh, broadcaster and I think has really, created the template for what most radio shows are. 
when you were listening to all of your influences from Howard Stern and Mike and the Mad Dog and all those uh, sports talk radio shows, did you ever have ambitions of being a radio broadcaster yourself? Like, did you think that after Survivor, for example, that you would transition into a career in radio? So I never really thought about radio uh, specifically. I think I was always more thinking about television as a person who was uh, growing up. Uh, when I went to college, I did uh, a bunch of sportscasts on the college news station and really was focused on that. I did a little bit of radio, but for whatever reason, I was always more focused on television than radio. Post-Survivor, you talked about joining a company that wanted to monetize whatever fame reality TV stars could have in the moment. And this was also around the time that Rob as a website began, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. I launched my uh, website that I have now much later. So I, I moved to Los Angeles in 2004 and started working uh, with that company, which their project was called The Fishbowl. And their idea was you have these reality TV stars who are famous and there wasn't really social media at the time. There was MySpace, but there wasn't really a great way to, in the way that you would like follow you know, former reality TV contestants on Instagram or on, you know, different social media sites that they wanted to create like a site that was kind of like a blog and maybe had like some rudimentary like videos and also like audio interviews with reality stars. And that was their idea for a popular website. When you were working on the fishbowl and yes. you eventually decided to take the leap into podcasting years later, how did you figure your way out around it? Because at the time, podcasting had gone through about a couple of waves, but it isn't as democratized mm -hmm. as it is now. So did you have somebody showing you the ropes or did your background as a computer projects coordinator from your time on Survivor make it easier for you to explore the world of podcasting? Yeah, so I've always been like a little bit handy in terms of working with computer stuff. And obviously, like it's a much more sophisticated thing than it was at that point in time. So I had like a little bit of a background in terms of being able to do stuff on the computer. And then when that company, the Fishbowl, went out of business, you know, I still worked with those same people and we started creating a bunch of content for YouTube. And we didn't really have a budget, so there was a lot of guerrilla marketing that was involved. We did all of the post-production, so I edited, I produced. I basically had like a little bit of like a film school education over the next four or five years after I moved to Los Angeles. So when it got to the point when I was going to start doing Rob as a podcast, I had you know some technical know-how in terms of like, I knew how to edit. Um, you know, I knew how to create a website. I knew how to get something out on social media to some degree. So, you know, I've worn just about every hat there is to wear with making the podcast. And so a lot of that stuff, I sort of honed a lot of those skills over the next few years in Los Angeles. In terms of hosting, though, when you got behind the mic for Rob as a podcast, did you have anybody mm -hmm. guiding you through the process? Did you have anybody giving you feedback or was there a mentor that you went to for advice? Because if you're in radio or in TV, you probably have a manager mm -hmm. guiding you through the process. But yeah. when you're exploring this new medium, there's probably nobody that you can approach. No, not really. I mean, I had done some interviewing when I was working at the Fishbowl and we had done similarly, like uh, we talked about Survivor and Big Brother and The Amazing Race and like different TV shows that were on at that time. And so it wasn't 
daily, you know, it was like weekly. And, you know, I had done that for maybe like a year or two. I always loved doing it, but it had been a while uh, since I started doing it. And, you know, we were really trying to figure things out in the early going. And I really just relied on the feedback of the audience. I want to ask about that feedback system because about a decade ago, social media was very different yes. than the way it is now. And getting the podcasts out there was also pretty different. So what was the feedback system like? I made a podcast. I think I posted it on Facebook and then people would write to me in the comments of Facebook. And like we had a Facebook page, which is different than a group. And the Facebook pages used to be a lot more interactive than they are now. They like made a decision at some point where it was more like for brands and they didn't want as much like people just posting on the pages. But in the early going, there was a lot of engagement and feedback there. And then I guess on Twitter, that was basically it. There weren't many, many people listening at that point in time, but we were just excited that anybody was like listening and telling us what they thought. Were you already doing live broadcasts back then? Because when you look at what you've created now, you have several live broadcasts and several mm-hmm. streamed shows that you're able to pull off. But at the time, was the technology available then? Not really. There was not a great way to uh, do live broadcasting at that point in time. I think that we had done like a live audio show. And I don't even remember what the name of the service was like in like the first year of doing the podcast. People that have been listening to Rob's podcast since the beginning know that like we tried all these different live streaming sites. And a lot of them are like defunct and those shows are just gone because of the sites, the companies don't exist anymore that we did those shows on. But we ended up making the jump to Google Hangouts for the live shows probably by like 2013 or so. And uh, we did Google Hangouts for quite some time. Did you find it hard to juggle between managing the tech, managing whatever software, hardware you had, and mm-hmm. then whatever reactions you would get from a live audience? Because in a way, that's probably the closest you'd get to being on live TV or live radio. Yeah, it is hard. And it's still something that I juggle with. I'm fortunate that we have a producer, Scott, who a lot of times is able to like filter the behind the scenes feedback, but it can be very distracting. I find when you do a a live show and the chat is going like, and you can get distracted and be like reading the chat and then you're missing the show. It's something that I've had to even like, um, you know, recently I mostly will keep the chat closed because I kind of feel like if I'm taking myself out of the conversation that we're having to be reading, But what are they saying about the conversation? Especially if it's moving fast, it can be the kind of thing where it could really take you out of like you get to a point where like, wait, um, I'm sorry, can you say that one more time? Or uh, what, uh, what were we just, what was the question again? I'm sorry. And so I find that it makes you less present in the conversation that you're in when you're really like getting a ton of real time feedback. We're taking a quick break from my conversation with Rob so I can talk to all the movie geeks like me who enjoy watching international shows and movies. And if you always get that notice that 
X show or X movie is not available in your country, I feel you. I hate it when that happens. So let me recommend this workaround. It's NordVPN. You can install it on your devices because it's a VPN service that allows you to conveniently access content from over 59 different countries by changing your virtual location in just one click. And the best part is that it protects your devices and internet activity from very suspicious individuals and agencies and bodies who might be tracking your internet activity. And you can protect up to six different devices so you can go ahead and experience internet freedom now with NordVPN. All you have to do is to use this affiliate link, podlink.co slash L-I-F. That's podlink.co slash L-I-F and use my code ONDECK, O-N-D-E-C-K, no spaces, to get discounts of up to over 70% off. And as a bonus, if NordVPN isn't for you, then there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. So go ahead and try it out. Again, my link is podlink.co slash L-I-F. Have you ever had a brain fart or like a, a bad moment yes. where yes. <laughs> somebody just threw a comment your way, you forgot to close the chat box and it just really distracted you because it uh, it was so obscene or so offensive or whatever? Uh, I wouldn't say like obscene uh, comment, like throw me up, but it's more like, does Rob even know what they're talking about? Or like, that's totally wrong. And, and then you find yourself like, well, you're doing a show for thousands of people and one person said something over there. And now you're like directing the conversation to the person who is in the chat. I, we do have a, a really strong moderator team who, you know, I, I know if there's anything that was said that was like offensive or, you know, uh, obscene, that's going to get taken care of right away. It's more when people are pushing back on what I'm saying, or if I said the wrong thing in terms of like getting like my facts wrong, it, that's the kind of thing that could really like be more distracting. I want to focus on specific elements of Rob as a podcast that are pretty much rooted in radio that I've come to really enjoy. One of them is a soundboard. Yes. And I love it when these little clips from episodes past just come up out of nowhere. What did people say when the soundboard first came out? Like, how do they take to that? Um, so I think Kagiyan was the season where we really started to play around with it. And of course, that was where Tony had a bunch of things that he had said in, in that season. It's easy to overdo it with the soundboard. We probably did overdo it, but the sweet spot is like trying to find the stuff that's like where it adds to the conversation and also, uh, you know, doesn't get on people's nerves. And I think that that's something that the Howard Stern show, I think that they were very influential in terms of almost every radio show like has their version of like sound drops that they use. And I feel like they did it first and did it best. Anybody that's doing sound drops on podcasts or a radio show is copying what they did. Has CBS ever flagged any of the sound clips you've used on the soundboard? No, no. I've been very fortunate in my relationship with CBS that I do think that, you know, as far as like the publicity department goes, like I feel like that they view what I do as a net positive. And I hope that they would, because I feel like that I make shows that are for people that love these uh, properties. And 
while we don't love every single thing that happens, and more often than not, we have a lot of questions about things, I think that we are doing these shows because we really enjoy the content that we're making and we don't want them to stop making it. And I think that we sort of give people a little bit more of appointment viewing, like in the meantime, between episodes of the shows and really keep the conversations going. Speaking of these radio elements, another one that really reminds me of hosting an actual radio show or being behind the booth is when you do the impressions, because that really goes all the way back yes. to the days of radio dramas and radio plays. So mm-hmm. were you always good at making impressions of people? Yeah, I always loved Saturday Night Live and, you know, the way how they would do different impressions. I, I love anybody that does impressions. I love watching other people do impressions. And so it, it's something that I have done going back my entire life. It was as a kid, not so much like celebrities, but it was like, you know, maybe like grownups that I knew, which is not always appreciated, or teachers <laughs> and like different figures of authority in my life and just copying whatever I saw on Saturday Night Live. Is it difficult? Because I've tried my hand at voice acting as well, and Mm. it is not easy, right? So for somebody who doesn't have a background in voice acting or character acting, how do you get yourself in that mindset to adopt a voice that isn't remotely close to yours? I think you kind of just hear it. I think you have an ear for it where um, somebody will say a certain word or phrase and whether it's sort of just picking up on like a cadence or the way that their voice sounds. Usually like I feel like I can do it before. It's something like I practice to try to do it. How much do you practice a particular impression? Sometimes I will work at it for a while to sort of talk as that person. And I feel like that the one that I probably worked the hardest on was uh, Penner over the years. I just, I, I love Jonathan Penner so much. And that's the one that I just really worked at. For everybody else that I do, I feel like I just listen for long enough and I feel like that I sort of know what I'm going to do. Has anybody in your life just told you to stop because the impressions have gotten annoying because you broke them out like at the dinner table or at a party or or at some function? You know, I I don't do a ton of uh, survivor impressions with my family just because that they don't have like the knowledge base uh, for it. But I uh, certainly have done impressions of my wife and my children and uh, nobody is appreciating that. Since we're talking about impressions, I have to bring up the legendary Casey Kasem, whose presence loomed over your podcast for years and years and years. So aside from what would go on to be the wand-off, one of the many segments on Rob as a podcast, how did Casey Kasem influence your work? I used to listen to the radio a lot. And on the weekend, there would be the American Top 40, where they would do the songs of the week. And then there would always be like these uh, segments where... Casey Kasem, who is a, I imagine it's probably people that don't know who Casey Kasem is. He was like Ryan Seacrest before there was a Ryan Seacrest and he would get these letters. And I just remember thinking like, these are are so absurd of like, who's writing letters to Casey Kasem? And he had like a special, a special long distance dedication. And could you play (laughs) this song for this person? And I just remember like as a teenager being like, this is so absurd. And it just stuck with me. And unless you like watched a show where like a stand-up comedian was talking about something like that, like there wasn't like social media where you had like an outlet to be able to talk about these things. 
I remember when you did the Casey Kasem impression on Survivor Amazon. Did that ever make it to Casey Kasem? Do you know if you ever saw that? I have no idea. I have no idea if that ever got to him. Maybe, maybe not. I have no idea. As you keep doing these impressions, it's like you take on a character, right? And for all of the impressions you've done over the years on the podcast, do you ever get sick of them? No, I really don't ever get sick of doing any of the voices because I just feel like that there are characters that I can sort of like go to. I feel like I might forget how to do some of the impressions or like lose it after a while if I'm not using it regularly. But no, I I never get tired of uh, doing an impression. I'm always like trying to, you know, it's one thing to do a voice, but then you also want to have like a character of that the person that you're doing because I feel like that just the voice is like a parlor trick but then to be able to you know then bring humor to that character like by like coming up with funny things to say so I feel like that it's it's never the impression that I get tired of it's like not having the material to be able to give that voice to keep it fresh When you're doing those voices, do you also act with your body or do you put on, say, a Red Sox hat if you're doing Boston Rob Mariano's voice? No, I mean, I don't have props or anything. uh, I think I might like react like a little bit like if I was going to do a different person, like maybe in my maybe I might like uh, look a little bit different or like be a little bit more animated for certain people versus others. But I don't have any sort of like costumes that I do. That's really interesting because it's so easy for you to just get in character and then snap out of it. And that's a trick in voice acting that I find really, really hard to master. So props to you for getting to that point. It's probably just the repetition, repetition, repetition. Yes. So you will wear something different to do different voices? I would, or I'd probably fix my body a certain way. Like if I want to channel a different voice, I'd probably be hunching over or I'd probably be puffing my chest out. But that's probably just yeah. because of how I was trained. So like, I can't yeah. snap Maybe in. I'll get like a, like a Russell Hance like fedora <laughs> and keep it nearby. Exactly, yeah. That, I don't even like that hat. See, that's what I was thinking all this time. Like you would have these little things that would remind you of these people or like the Jonathan Penner fedora hat, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, segwaying into the podcast and the community you've built, it's become this big online watering hole for fans of reality TV. And now that you're over 11 years into Rob as a podcast, did you ever envision that you'd be doing it this long and that it would grow to be this big? No, I never envisioned it, but I I don't think I ever like envisioned like a long-term plan of what I was doing. I think I was just very much like in the short term. Okay, let me do this because I need something to be doing right now. I never really imagined like what the plan was sort of like 10 years out or where this thing was going to ultimately go. I just was like, okay, I'm just going to do this for as long as I possibly can until I have to figure out something else to do. How do you rationalize that as an adult and as a married adult, right? Like you've got a family Mm -hmm. and you have to put food on the table and pay some bills. So if there is no long-term plan, how do you make that make sense? (laughs) Well, Stan, you're making me feel very irresponsible. I'm trying not to. I just Um, just, just want to know. Um, that I, well, I didn't have kids when I started and I wasn't even married when I started doing the podcast. I was engaged to Nicole. I got married the same year that I started Rob's podcast back in 2010. And 
My wife, she is somebody who the big things she never really worried too much about. Uh, the the small stuff, yeah, she definitely uh, like will sweat the small stuff. But in terms of like the big picture stuff, I don't know. She, I just had faith in. Okay, he knows what he's doing, and this is going to work out. If not exactly this, you know, eventually he'll figure it out. So I didn't feel a lot of pressure there. And when I started doing the podcast, it wasn't like I had any other prospects of anything to be doing. It wasn't like, well, you know, I could be at this particular job making great money or doing the podcast. Like, no, I had zero jobs, zero offers. And I only started doing the podcast because I had nothing else going on. And so uh, there was never really a point where I could have been doing something different. I think that I might just be officially unemployable at this point. So as of right now, this is still my only job. You're selling yourself short. All the skills, everything you've done for the podcast to date, I'm sure that'll land you on somebody's... uh, (laughs) Zip recruiter? Zip recruiter. (laughs) Look, I I have a very specific skill set where I might have some expertise to bring in a few areas, but in terms of like, unless your company is survivor trivia... And survivor impressions. Like, I, I don't know necessarily how many other jobs that I'd be like a really coveted person to hire. Before we proceed with the rest of the episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the guys and girls over at Immunobean Coffee. Immunobean is made with premium quality coffee combined with 19 healthy herbal ingredients to boost your immunity and vitality. Shop now at shopee.ph/slash immunobean. You mentioned how Nicole seemed to just have faith that you'd be able to make this all work. But as an individual, Mm. are you the worrying type? Are you the type to look ahead and be like, all right, where is this going to be in five years, in 10 years? So I would say that I'm not the type of person who really can plan where things are going to be five years out. I mean, especially now. I mean, uh, who knows? I I feel like I'm lucky if I know where things are going to be like five weeks out. But I, I feel like that... I know what the audience is, uh, you know, has worked for us in the past. And I feel like I try to cater to the audience and also listen closely to what they're telling me that they want. And so I feel like as long as I can continue to service those needs, I feel like we'll be where we need to be in five years, but I don't have the foresight because I feel like that the business of podcasting, you know, changes so rapidly that I think it it would be really hard to predict, you know, where this all is going to be in five years. One of the biggest changes, speaking of which, uh, in terms of the podcasting community and industry is the rise of crowdfunding, which eventually led mm-hmm. to Patreon several years ago. So what yeah. made you decide that going this route, starting a patron community would become sustainable? Again, I never like thought about how sustainable is this? It was at a point where I had been let go from the job I was working at. And I decided I'm going to try to give full-time podcasting a shot. And I had been approached by somebody at Patreon, I think in 2013. And I said, well, I mean, who's going to pay for podcasting? I mean, it's free. I mean, I feel like that people will just like, what will they say if I asked for people to make contributions to, uh, you know, hear podcasts? And at that point, I was, uh, you know, still working on something else. And this was sort of like more my side hustle. But 
when 2014 came around and I was going to go full time, I thought that, well, let me give this a shot. And I basically said like, hey, I want to keep doing this to be a full time podcaster and make Rob's podcast my job. And people were, you know, enrolled in that journey. And we had a few hundred people sign up like right off the bat in January. And, you know, we've been able to continually like add to like the base of patron subscribers. And really the thing that came along with that was that we started doing a Facebook group back in 2014. And we sort of had this central nucleus of like where the most passionate fans of the podcast now were. And really off of that, we just completely took off in terms of this community where there were so many people who love Survivor, love Big Brother, listened to the podcast and didn't know anybody else that also shared those things. And because of people finding each other, that's where like this community really took off. One of the things I also noticed was how the community is largely really peaceful and civil and just nice. And it's kind of hard to find spaces like that on Facebook, especially in this day and age where everything is so polarizing. So how are you able to maintain and manage all of this niceness? Well, it's really a testament to the people that, you know, came and found Rob as a podcast. And from an early point, they really just created this amazing atmosphere in the group. And the people that come and find Rob as a podcast, and, and again, I, I don't know if it has anything to do with people are patrons and they're paying money. And it's a little bit like of a for lack of a better term, like a velvet rope of like, okay, you basically are paying to be here. I feel like that people are a little bit more kind to one another. We have not been without our conflicts and dust-ups over the course of, you know, seven years. But unlike other groups where there's trolling and people are getting into arguments for the sake of arguing and, you know, uh, going back and forth all day, we just don't have a tolerance for that. Right. And a lot of the dissent, I guess, among these groups, especially these days, comes from politics. And you've really made it a point to keep politics yeah. out of the podcast and even in community discussions, right, in the Facebook group. But over the last mm -hmm. couple of years, events have happened like the season 39 merge, the events of that, which, you know, when you think about it, there's also some politics there. And the Black Lives Matter movement's resurgence over the last year, mm -hmm. you've then used Rob as a podcast as a platform to amplify voices in these discussions. So was it difficult to pivot towards that? I had been a no politics as a rule, just as a person growing up, you know, don't bring up religion, don't bring up politics. Those are sort of like the two rules of, you know, if you want to get along with people, don't bring up money. It's also a broadcaster's mantra. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that had been sort of like my guiding principle. There are Democrats that like Survivor. There are Republicans that like Survivor. You know, I feel like it's not really a place. And I feel like that, you know, uh, certainly like Survivor itself has, uh, you know, had welcomed in people from all walks of life. But, you know, we've reached a point in the last couple of years where not all politics is necessarily budgets and voting and president approval rating. There are social politics, uh, which are in different ways associated with bigger political conversations. And so it's hard. I, I don't ever want to be like censoring anybody. You know, I, I feel like that my attitude has shifted where in the community, 
I feel like we need to like have a space where if people feel the need to talk about a you know specific issue, especially when it pops up on the screen with these different shows, like it did in season 39 of Survivor, you know, I think I need to be able to give space in the community for people to have thoughtful conversation. But then also on the podcast itself, that, uh, you know, season 39 was really the, the first time that we had to tackle, you know, a really difficult issue to talk about on a television show. And I mean, it was difficult and it was not difficult at times where it's like that, obviously, like there were wrongdoings that happened on Survivor. But I felt like what was difficult was that I didn't necessarily know how to lead that conversation. And I felt in that moment, what was the right thing to do was to find people that were able to articulate feelings about what was going on and be able to present coherent thoughts about that and then give them the space and then listen to what they had to say and then you know ask any questions that I had. I never want to be the person who is like a blowhard on any of these shows where it's like, all right, well, let me tell you what I think about this situation. That's not really a situation that is something that I can, you know, speak knowledgeably about. And then in 2020, after everything happened with George Floyd and, you know, there was so much discussion about what it means to be black and how black people had been treated on the shows and then all sorts of people of color and what their experiences have been like on, not just on Earth, but specifically on Survivor and Big Brother. And what I thought was the best way to handle that also was that I thought it made sense to try to have the players who we're, we're talking about, like give them space to tell their story. And also I felt like that we needed to bring in more podcasters that had experience and were able to talk about their own experience and be able to talk about these things in a way where I could listen to what people had to say, as opposed to me trying to explain things to the audience. Were there ever reactions from listeners of the podcast where they were turned off because Rob is a podcast and mm -hmm. gone political? Like, oh, this isn't the RHAP I'd grown used to. Yes. Well, uh, you know, I, I feel like I get Rob as a podcast is too woke. Uh, I've definitely have gotten that. Are you just you just lost a listener because uh, this is, show is too woke? I get dragged from the other side. How could you think that you know uh, about what's going on and for for all sorts of different reasons? So I've gotten hit from both sides of the discussion, and I just feel like I try to do what's right in terms of listening to my audience. And I follow them. And I'm very fortunate that I get to work with like such a great team of podcasters that are able to sort of like when I, when I am really like at, at a tough decision of like, what do we do? I like to turn to the podcasters. And I feel like as long as like I'm doing what's right by them, then I feel good about the decisions that I'm making. 
I want to go back to uh, Survivor Season 39, which we alluded to. And for uh, mm-hmm. listeners of On Deck who aren't familiar, there were incidents of inappropriate touching that led to one player getting taken out of the game and another player going through a very negative experience as a result of it. And none of us were ever prepared to watch it. I remember during your coverage, uh, one of the comments you kept repeating was there was no trigger warning. Mm-hmm. So for you as somebody who was covering the show, how did you even begin to prepare to wrap your head around everything and then figure out how to talk through everything that went down and process these things with your co-hosts, the different podcasters, and the listeners. So I had a little bit of an inkling that this was coming up in terms of this specific episode. I had heard some rumors that there was going to be this incident that was going to affect the show. The thing that we didn't know was necessarily like how it was going to be portrayed on the episode and just, you know, how jarring it was going to be. And I I feel like that they, to this day, they definitely did not do a great job preparing the audience for what was to come in the episodes. And I don't know if it was because Survivor thought they actually did do a good job of handling things. And they're like, okay, watch, Jeff is going to talk it through at Tribal Council. And it was a two-hour episode where this all happened. And, you know, it was very upsetting for a lot of the listeners. And I'm trying to remember. So I knew something was up and Steven was going to not be around that week. And so I was very fortunate that Shannon Gus, who is uh, you know an incredible survivor resource, was going to be on with me. And so, and she was incredible in the initial reaction to that. And I think that we were on the show that night to sort of like react to, hey, this was like a very emotional program. And here's like reactions to what we just saw. And and she was just incredible on that podcast. I also had spoken with Kelly Wentworth on the episode recap after that incident had happened. And I had spoken with her the night before and given her a heads up that I don't think that she had known necessarily what was coming. But once I sort of started to hear through the grapevine, okay, this is the week, this is it's happening. I had like uh, given her a call and said, hey, Kelly, I just want to let you know that this is like what we're stepping into. And I just want to make sure you're okay with having this. And she was so great as well. And she said, yeah, I'm up to talk about that. And I think that for a lot of people that that was really great to have such a strong woman like Kelly Wentworth be able to speak to these issues as somebody who had just played in the previous season as well, who had been so recent in the Survivor production circle. And then I got reached out to by like a few other resources, people who were knowledgeable, people that had been with women who have gone through traumatic events. And we did, I'm not sure, I don't remember if it was like one or two episodes of special coverage where we had people who were professionals in this field be able to speak to the listeners and talk about what they just saw on the show. We're taking one more break from my conversation with Rob so I can talk to you about some killer deals you can get from one of the newest sponsors of On Deck with Stancy, and those are our friends over at Nike. You can use my affiliate link when you shop at Nike's Southeast Asian online store when you use the link podlink.co slash 6VO. That's podlink.co slash the number 6 and the letters V and O. And from there, you can just click checkout and a portion of what you spend will go to Podcast Network Asia and to On Deck at no extra cost to you. So once again, the affiliate link for Nike's Southeast Asian online store is podlink.co slash 6VO. Just do it and get all those killer deals right now. 
I ask these questions because, you know, when you're a broadcaster, you go through training and you have to get a license and all that. But podcasting is in many ways still very much a wild, wild west where anyone can grab a microphone and say whatever they want. So do you feel that you're at this point where you really have to treat yourself as if you're, you know, from one of those big networks on TV with regard to your voice and how you express yourself using that voice? Yeah, I do. And I know like it doesn't sound fun to talk about it like in, in that way, but I just feel like that I have like a responsibility where I feel like that a lot of the shows that we did like 11 years ago, I didn't feel a responsibility to. It's like, hey, we're just trying to be funny here. Uh, you know, we don't have a social responsibility. Like there's no, nobody is like, this isn't that serious. And then I feel like that because of the people that I've met along the way in this journey and the yeah. impact that these shows have in terms of who's hearing it, and that I, I definitely do feel that there is a much bigger responsibility and like the words that we're saying on these podcasts are much more impactful than I ever imagined. Like uh, back when we were just fooling around, like it was, it was like, who's ever going to listen to this? And now we're at a point where the internet is forever and people can get receipts. And speaking mm-hmm. of receipts, I just want to acknowledge something you said when you did the uh, all-time season rankings on your own season on the Amazon. And yes, you called yourself yes. out for what you'd said to Dan Liu, a tribal council. I appreciated yeah, that yeah. as a fellow Asian uh, who you yeah. know, remembers what had gone down at that tribal. So do you ever get these clips from listeners who, who go like, this is what you said in 2012 or whatever. Do they drag you for that stuff? Does that happen? And how do you deal with that? No, it hasn't happened uh, too uh, too more. I mean, more so for Survivor of the Amazon, and I appreciate you uh, highlighting that because I feel that as somebody living in that moment in 2002, I just felt like, well, like I didn't hear anybody say anything about Dan. That's not happening, and I didn't have like the presence of mind to think like, well, just because you didn't see it, like, doesn't mean that he can't feel it or it wasn't happening and, and, you know, not, not with you. And so, you know, I feel like that that's one of the great things that's come out of all of the conversations and awareness over the last couple of years is that I think that we're able to like, Oh, okay. This experience that is not happening to me is happening to somebody else. And I can acknowledge that that's something that I need to be cognizant of, even if like, it's not impacting me directly. And as far as like the old stuff, yeah, it hasn't happened too much for the podcast, but I have no doubt that there will be things that I've said that have aged like milk, you know, (laughs) in terms of like talking about different players and the way that I would talk about a a female player now versus talking about her game in the past. And I'd like to think I've had some growth in the last nine or 10 years. And I feel like it would be terrible if I didn't grow at all uh, in, in all the time of doing this. So as somebody who is, has been doing this as long as I have, like there's definitely things where, you know, I think we've evolved along the way. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a big believer in those things that we went through before have led us to the point where we are now. So we can't necessarily invalidate those experiences either. Mm-hmm. As we begin to wind down here, I've got some questions from some listeners and friends who'd like to get to know Rob Cesarnino better. Sure. So this is a survivor question from Mark who asks, what did you spend your Amazon prize money on? <laughs> I think I just spent it on uh, not getting a real job for a while. Like it wasn't like I went out and bought like one purchase. I think that I 
just uh, was unemployed for a while. And I sort of just had like a little bit of a cushion in the bank. And then the little uh, bit, I put like a, a small amount of it, like in a mutual fund that had grown a little bit. And then I ended up taking that out. And uh, that's what I, the money I used to pay for uh, Nicole's uh, engagement ring. So I feel like ultimately that was probably the biggest thing that I ended up buying uh, several years later. This next one is from Martin, uh, who's a huge wrestling and Survivor fan. And he knows that uh, you, you know your way around the ring as well. So uh, he <laughs> asks who your favorite pro wrestler of all time is. So my favorite is the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. I just uh, really felt like I was with him, I feel like, through uh, like uh, his days with the Rockers and then uh, like the the boyhood dream of becoming the uh, WWE champion finally. And then uh, ultimately, you know, the battle with Bret Hart and all through uh, DX. So I love Shawn Michaels uh, the most, but there's a couple others that, uh, you know, are favorites of mine. Mr. Perfect was somebody else who I always really loved. And I mean, I certainly like uh, at the height of the Attitude Era, like Stone Cold and The Rock, you know, it was all like uh, people that was like the late 90s was my favorite era of wrestling. This one's from Chino, uh, one of my co-hosts on the Wrestling Wrestling Podcast who asks, when did you get the idea to finally have a wrestling podcast on the RHAP Network? I didn't have an idea. That was Matt and Mari approached me and said, hey, we want to do a podcast about wrestling. And so I get pitches a lot of times about different shows. And I never really like uh, felt like, okay, wrestling is the next thing that we need to do, but they had a great pitch and they're both such great broadcasters and podcasters. And I was looking for new opportunities to give, like we had, we brought on so many podcasters. I wanted to see uh, some of them go on to like start to host their own shows. And they had an idea for a pitch. And especially at a time when there was not a lot of other content going on that I thought it was, you know, a, a great fit. And I feel like there are a lot of overlap between reality TV and professional wrestling. This next one's from Ima who asks, do you see Dominic and Anthony having a future in podcasting or will you groom them to fill your shoes <laughs> down the road? My older son, I think definitely has a knack for it, but I, I would never want to like groom him to do something he didn't want to do. I, I, I feel like that when I was a kid, I don't feel like that there was ever anybody that really like encouraged me to do the silly things that I wanted to do. I, I remember, if anything, more like, hey, Robbie, knock it off. Stop doing that. So for my son, Dominic, who has been you know very into Big Brother over the summer, I don't know exactly what part of it appealed to him so much, but he got really into it. And so I thought it would be fun to, and he really like knows his stuff. So I thought it'd be fun to have him do it. But I, but again, I, I don't want him to like, I think I would want to have, have him do it very sparingly. And, you know, I, I don't think it's healthy necessarily to push them into being really like on camera presences at such a young age. Now, uh, we're going to wind down with this last question for me, and this is something yeah. I ask all my guests. Rob, why do you love this? Why do you love telling these stories and talking to people and getting their stories out into the air or on the internet? 
I just feel like it's so much fun to get to talk to all these different people who have been through this, you know, crazy experience, uh, whether, you know, it's Survivor, uh, you know, especially where I get to either talk to people that have played on all these different Survivor seasons and they all have like a million stories that we haven't necessarily heard, which are all super exciting. And then I get to talk with all of these very funny and engaging different personalities about these different shows that we do. And the fans are all people that are passionate about the same thing. A lot of them are also really funny and fun to engage with and talk to. And so it's just like this very fun thing that I get to do. And, you know, I I never could have imagined doing something that was so fun as I get to do in making the podcast and being a part of this community that really there's so many like serious things in the world and so many uh, things that are just not fun. And we get to have playtime and talk about TV shows that we love. And it's such a great joy that I get to uh, do this so much. Rob, thank you so much for joining me here on the season finale of On Deck with Stan C. Before I let you go, can you please let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you, how they can uh, send you a message, hopefully kind ones and nothing that drags you. (laughs) Sure. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Rob Sesternino. Uh, Of course, then you can find all the podcasts at my website, robisawebsite.com or search for Rob as a podcast uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Rob, thank you so much. You know, I'm going to echo David Voce here. I do consider your voice as a mentor, even though we've only met a couple of times. Uh, Thank you so much for everything you've brought to my Survivor fandom and to my fandom as a podcaster. I really appreciate you. Thank you for spending time with me on our season finale. Thank you for all that, Stan. And I really appreciate you having me. Thanks again to Rob Sesternino of Rob as a Podcast for joining me on the season finale of On Deck. And thank you to everybody who's been following the podcast from the get-go. And if you've been following me on Spotify and sending me DMs about how much you've been enjoying the episodes, I really appreciate you. You're the reason why I've been doing this podcast for about as long as this pandemic has been raging on. And I'm really looking forward to putting together another list of epic guests for season four. And now's as good a time as any. If you have anybody that you want me to talk to, any personality you want me to reach out to and unmask here on the podcast, I'd be more than happy to see what strings we can pull, what conversations and stories we can get out of them. Hopefully we can make it happen for season four of On Deck with Stan C. But in the meantime, I've got to get out of here. So let me tell you about a couple of ways you can keep supporting the podcast even as we enter a season break. So let's start off with your online shopping over on Shopee. The payday sale just ended last weekend, but there's another sale in another couple of weeks when the next payday comes along. So if you want to take advantage of those killer deals and help out the podcast as well, please use my Shopee affiliate link, podlink.co slash on deck. It's podlink.co slash O-N-D-E-C-K. From there, it'll take you straight to the Shopee checkout. And then a portion of what you spend will go to Podcast Network Asia and On Deck with Stancy at no extra cost to you. So once again, the Shopee affiliate link is podlink.co slash on deck. Speaking of Podcast Network Asia, I've got one more pod here on the network that I'd like you to check out. If you're a pro wrestling fan, then please check out the Wrestling Wrestling Podcast. We're about to approach our 450th episode 
And we're looking for a new co-host as well. You can check out everything on the show by following us on Spotify, The Wrestling Wrestling Podcast, or check us out during our weekly live streams on Thursdays at 7 p.m. That's at Wrestling Wrestling Pod on Kumu or Facebook.com slash Wrestling Wrestling Podcast. I'm also going to take a moment to plug the new episodes of the Chinoy TV documentary, Chinese by Blood, Filipino by Heart, which airs on CNN Philippines Sunday nights at 8 p.m. They've interviewed me again for a new set of episodes, and I think there's something that'll surprise people once I appear on screen. I'm going to leave it at that, all right? So check it out. Sundays at 8 p.m. on CNN Philippines. Finally, I got to say thanks to the producers who really work hard to put this show together from Miguel Aitona to Jeric Santos to Nikai Lucanias, who has emerged as one of the best producers I've ever worked with. She is transitioning out of her role at PNA, but I have to take this opportunity to thank her on the record for everything she's done, all the work she's put in, and all the help she's given me in making On Deck a better show than it has any right to be. So thank you very much, Nikai. As we say in wrestling, we wish you the best in all your future endeavors. And of course, thank you very much to the Podcast Network Asia team for allowing us to do what we do best here on their platform. And as this episode formally comes to an end, let me give you a last set of reminders. Please double mask if you can. Stay at home if you can. Go register to vote if you can and go get vaccinated if you can. Then by next year, please go out and vote because we must. All right. That's it for me. That's it for season three of On Deck with Stan C. I just want to say thank you very much and I hope I've earned the privilege of your time. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.